0: Good afternoon. Yeah, good morning. (laughs) No, it's great to be here, and it's such a blessing um, to to be here and to get to spend some time with with Jim and Mary, and what a precious couple, amen? And, uh, you know, part of what I do is I I travel um, as part of the church network that that we're a part of in Lynchburg, and, and travel to different cities and congregations, you know, and some bigger and some smaller, but how many of you know it, it's, a, it's a blessing to have leaders that have a heart for God? Hey, can we clap and bless Jim and Mary? Just like really bless them. It's no small thing. It's no small thing. So it, it's good to recognize the gift of God among you. And so I just want to thank you for being a couple that has spearheaded revival in the city and has, um, you know, hardened your, your head to resistance. And set your face like flint towards what God's called you to, and, and uh, I just feel like the Lord's just, just wanting to remind you you're going to reap everything that you sowed, and even the things that you thought might, might have died, they're going to they're gonna spring up, and it's going to come back tenfold, and uh, the best is yet to come. So my wife and I pastor in Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, about <clears throat> seven and a half uh, years ago, we moved there uh, with our two kids. My wife was pregnant, so I guess... It was I say 2.5. It was a full person in my wife's womb. But, you know, so, but two of them were born. One was in the oven. And we moved to Lynchburg. And uh, we had $2,000 and we knew two college students in the city. (laughs) That was our our grand church planning scheme to take over a city. Uh, And,. uh, and uh, and but but we had a word from the lord and uh, we also had a blessing from um uh, spiritual fathers that that we really uh respect and look up to in fact my wife and i were ordained um out of a church called life center in harrisburg pennsylvania and and uh my, my wife and i we about 15 years ago uh we'd gotten kicked out of two churches in 24 months and so we were pretty discouraged and and uh, that was after, you know, walking with Jesus. I, you know, I was able to, like, blend in with the crowd as, like, a, a horrible, rotten sinner for, like, you know, my, my whole life. But then I got saved, and everything went bad in the church. It was horrible. And I, I, I didn't want it to be that way. I just I just wanted to love Jesus and love those around me. But anyways, I got into a, a, a lot of, uh, of, of trouble in those 24 months. I ended up getting kicked out of two churches in 24 months. And the, the second church that I got kicked out of, you know, they, I helped them with their identity crisis, because whenever I showed up, they were um, a Baptist church that was decided that they wanted to be non-denominational. By the time I left, they knew for sure they were Baptist, and they took non-denominational off the website... <laughs> So, so, you know, it was like, I asked them, I said, hey, do you guys believe in healing and stuff like that? They said, yeah, we think it's in the Bible. How many of you know, like, believing in it, you know, kind of theoretically is one thing, but when it's happening in front of you and it looks differently than what you thought, then that's a whole other thing. So anyways, they thought we were witches and practicing witchcraft, and it happens, you know, and we were just praying for people in Jesus' name, and people were getting healed and getting saved and getting set free, and, you know, honestly, compared to even what happened here this morning... Uh, what we were doing was so mild, but it was outside of their box. So they told all the kids we were heretics and dangerous and not to talk to us. And that was a week after we got married, bless God, right in their congregation. And so, um, yeah, so that was a little intense, but uh, we, we ended up uh, like kind of like dragging our, our, our sorry selves up to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We were living in Annapolis, Maryland, because we heard of a church that wanted God. And, and so we drove for two hours. And the first Sunday that we were there, there was a guest speaker from England. He had my name written down on a piece of paper and that I was newly married and that God was going to use us for vi- revival. Calls us out of the crowd. This is our welcome packet. We, on the first Sunday we're there, calls us up out of the crowd, takes water, throws it on us, uh, does like... Boom does that, doesn't touch us, we fall out and we lay there the entire time while the, we, he preaches for about an hour. <laughs> and so at the end of the church service, all the pastors and leaders, including Charles and Enstock, came up and met us, and that was it. And so for about three years, we would drive two hours to church each Sunday. Come on, how many you know it's worth it? My goodness. I mean, you know, I, you know we're, yeah, you can clap for that. You know, it's like, we're, nobody's, nobody's here to waste time on a Sunday morning. My goodness. And if you can't be with a group of people that are hungry for God, like, what are we doing, you know? And so we did. For, for, for three years, we would drive two hours each way. And, you know, during that time, we had just gotten married, 20 years old, you know, and, and uh, I was serving tables, and I'd get people saved. Like you guys do here, and I'd get people saved, and I'd say, you know, okay, next step, I'm taking you to church. They said, okay. I said, well, I'll pick you up at 8, and we'll get back around 4 p.m., <laughs> and they came because they didn't know any better. How, you know, as, as far as they knew, that was normal, so, you know, these were like heathens, so I would like, yeah, I'll pick you up at 8, we'll get back at 4, and people, and I'd drive them two hours to church, <laughs> you know, and people would get whacked and, and touched by the Lord, and, and that was a good time. Well, eventually we ended up moving to Harrisburg and and uh you know I, I, when we were in, we were living in Annapolis, Maryland and and uh we we actually moved into a low-income neighborhood and a few a few of our friends moved in with us. And so we would do this on Saturdays, we would get a grill out and go into the middle of our neighborhood and start cooking food <laughs> and uh, people would come out and uh you know you start feeding people, it's a doorway to their heart, and so we just feed people, and then we just preach Jesus, and people get healed and saved and set free, and, and I remember we started a little, a club for these kids, you know, and, and, and a lot of these kids, their parents were addicts, drug dealers, prostitutes, tough kids, not church kids, and, um, you know, or maybe they were living with grandma, you know, just just really broken, no, no church background, and we would pray for these kids, and these kids would get slain in the spirit, and, and they'd see angels and Jesus. But, you know, even in that environment, sometimes our hearts can get a little jaded. If you're just used to it, I don't know if, if that's ever happened to you. Maybe, maybe it's happened here before where you, you, you hear about another healing. You're like, oh, I hope they're really healed. You know, hope, hope they're not just feeling a little bit better now, or hope that works, you know. And, and, and sometimes, like, a little bit of jadedness can, can grow in our hearts, even in environments like this. And I remember one time I was praying for the kids, and we we're, you know, different kids were saying they were seeing angels or getting touched by the Lord. And, and this one kid, he, he got slain in the spirit, and he said, Hey, I saw Jesus. And I had this, I had a little bit of a jaded thing on, on my heart at that moment. I said, Oh, did you? I was, trying, I was being cute. I said, Oh, that's nice. He goes, Yeah, he's riding a white horse. <laughs> I said, Yeah, you did see Jesus, didn't you? <laughs> He hadn't seen the flannel graph. Which, you know, it was the real Jesus on a white horse. And uh, that, that young man's mom was a prostitute and a drug addict and, and had no church background at all. You know, but God's just so willing to, to break into our lives. And so uh, we ended up moving to Harrisburg and and uh, the Lord just told us to sell everything. And, and, and by that time I was in the, the car industry and um, yes, a, a Christian in the car business. And I, I was uh, selling, and then I was a manager, and I was doing really good for a you know, uh, college dropout. I got saved um, in my senior year of high school. I was this really depraved, addicted young man, and Jesus invaded my life. And I had a Fulbright scholarship for acting um, in high school, and so I, I get into college, and I'm like, I can't do this. It's just too intense, so I drop out. And so, by that time, I was selling cars, and I was managing, and we bought a house. Lord said, "Sell everything, and follow me, and and do what I said." And so we said, "Yes, sir." And so we sold all of our stuff and quit my job. And We moved to Harrisburg, and so that's like been the adventure that we've been on uh, for the you know uh, more than a decade. We went to DC and to work as church planters, and um, uh, we were there for about three years. And and at, just about every moment of it sucked. It it was it was some of the most intense, painful. Um just i can 't describe how bad it was I, you know I, I, you know we, we, we went there to be mentored and and to be you know fathered and discipled and 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 uh, the, the the man that the Lord chose for me didn 't understand me, and i didn 't understand him <laughs> and so it, it was just pain, it was just hard and and uh, I was like working full time. For the church, for around three hundred dollars a month and, uh, and and working my tail off another um, almost full time job trying to serve tables you know and 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 you know those those moments I think you know uh, Jim just brought up you're either like emerging from a trial in the middle of a trial you know or or about to go into one and it's it's not that we are looking or gluttons for punishment but but the father actually uses these intense moments to draw something out of us that we thought, man that would kill me, and the Lord's like, no. It, you're, you're actually going to slay that giant, amen. You're, you know, God. Some of us, God's called us into uh, the battlefield, and we're face to face with a giant because giants come to die, right? So we're 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 gonna, we're, we're about to take this thing out. And so um, for about three years, we just just had pain and discomfort, and and then um, I don't know. Have any of you read the? the three kings story the tale of the three kings yeah you know it's bad when your pastor gives you that book you know it's like you know the whole thing is is talking about david saul and absalom and the point of the story is don't be an absalom <laughs> like don't ruin everything and split the church and um and i didn't want to do that and that wasn't even my heart but he kind of thought it was and and i so i read this book and 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 the book is really good they there's this part where um i think it's gene edwards he says you know You know, associate pastors, uh, when they feel called to plant a church, he goes, nobody goes to a city where they don't know anyone, right? They always feel called across town. And he goes, he says in the book, he says, "And, and they don't ever ask anyone to go with them, but people ask them to go with them, and so they concede. And I put that book down, and I said, Lord, I will never do that. And I said, God, if you ever want me to plant a church, send me someplace I don't know anyone. And he did. He sent me to Lynchburg, Virginia, and so about seven and a half years ago, my wife and I show up with a, with a blessing from uh, you know, our, our apostle, Charles Stock, with a blessing and a, and, and a commissioning from, from him to go and, and plant a church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And when we got to Lynchburg, we started in an apartment with about six people, and, and we would just worship, and God would show up, and again, we had no money. Um, I, I was, again, just serving tables was, was easy for me, so I got a job serving tables, but it was still in the middle of the recession, so no one in Lynchburg wanted to hire me. so I had to drive an hour and twenty minutes to serve tables. <laughs> so I, I drove an hour and twenty minutes to Roanoke, Virginia, to serve tables while starting a church and you know there were, there were moments where we 'd pass the offering basket and like twenty dollars would come back and, and then there was other times we 'd pass the offering basket, and nothing came back. Those were the weeks even i didn 't have faith to give. I mean it was just really intense but we would worship in this apartment, and, and everybody's a believer in Lynchburg, even if they're not a believer. Everybody's a believer, bless God. And, and, uh, you know, and so you know, a few weeks go by, and we get a knock on the door, and they go, hey, bless your heart. They go, we love Jesus, and we love worship, but if we hear you again, we're going to call the police. <laughs> and so I said, that's how I discerned that it was time to, to move uh, from the apartment. And so we, we bounced around this and that, and we, I tell you, the first place that we got to rent about a month and a half after being in the city was this, like, 1,400-square-foot building, like almost like a bank of these chairs, just to give you an example of how big this thing was, and it was downtown, and it was ugly, but, you know, I couldn't see ugly. I just saw a worldwide revival center, like, just emerging. I, I couldn't see how ugly it was. Later, when I looked back at the pictures, I could see how ugly it was, <laughs> I called the place. I said, Is that place for lease? They said, Yeah. I said, Oh, how much is it? They said, Well, I don't know. But the last time we rented out, it was $600 a month. I covered the phone. I was like, Oh, gosh, I can't do that. We couldn't do it. I had no money. He said, Well, she said, We'll check. They called me back. They said, $350 a month. I said, I've got faith for that. I didn't have the money for that. I had the faith for that. And so we, we signed the lease, somehow scrounged up $350 a month, you know, or, or maybe it was $700 to pay the security deposit and the rent. And, uh, and I opened the door and realized there's no chairs, no toilet paper, <laughs> There's no nothing, and my heart sank, and I thought, well, that's the end of it. But you know, we end up went and we bought like twenty really ugly folding chairs from Fred's Twelve and Under store in downtown Lynchburg, and they were rusted and they were ugly. And but so we get our, you know, we get our apostolic supplies, and we get, you know, we set out those those twenty folding chairs, and then we announce at the end of the week that we're going to have a twelve hour prayer and worship service in our new apostolic center. And uh, Saturday comes for. days later, and over a 100 people show up for 12 hours, and the presence of God fills the room, and I went, we got it. (laughs) I said, we're going to make it. Well, there's there was lots of times since then that I thought, are we going to make it? But we've made it. We have made it. You know, faith and ignorance is a dangerous cocktail. You don't know how much faith and how much ignorance is mixed in (laughs) And it's like something awesome is going to happen Or we're going to die in flames In glory (laughs) And I want to tell you No matter how much success we've had We've kept the cocktail mix in equal parts We just keep going Because there's really not a moment that goes by That we're not doing something I have no idea what we're doing I just know God's really good Nothing shall be impossible to those who believe. And God has good things in store for us. Well, we, we outgrew our little 1,200-square-foot property in about a year. And we'd have people sitting on the floor. And I said, we got to do something. And this is, I'm telling lots of stories. Like, I actually am a pastor, so I do teach the Bible. So if any case anyone's wondering, like, is this what this guy does at his church? No, I teach the Bible. But when I'm here, I, you know, Jim and Mary can clean everything up, so I can just... <laughs> <laughs> I got to deal with it in Lynchburg so they can, you know, they can say, well, you know, they, maybe they could stand up next week and say, Jeff, bless his heart, <laughs> which which is Southern for isn't he an idiot? You know, can you believe he said that? <laughs> bless your heart. And um, and I said, we don't have any money. We, we can't, you know, what are we going to do? And so I find this, I'm walk. I pray and I walk. And that's how I solve problems usually. And, and I see this, this this new upgraded apostolic center, forty-two hundred square feet. I mean, that's like well, that's, that's bigger than twelve hundred square feet. And and so I, I go in and, and I said, um, well, how much do you want? And he said, well, thirty-eight hundred. I said, wow. I don't know, it's funny, right? Some of you are thinking, man, this guy, we got to pray for him before he leaves. But this is our, this is how we walk. Like when you show up to a city and you don't know anyone. We need two college students that weren't residents. I was their youth pastor in D.C., and we knew no one in the city. We had no money. I had $2,000, not in the church budget, in my budget. I don't believe that's the will of God, but that's what happened. That was the, that's history. And I had my acoustic guitar. I would stand up in that first year, and I'd say stuff like, if you're looking for a church that has words on a projector, we're not that church! <laughs> I don't know. It felt right at the moment, but. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in this, this you know, 4,200 square foot, you know, app, upgraded Apostolic Center. And I, how much do you want? They go 3,800 a month. I go, wow. Oh. I said, I was thinking more like 1,200 a month. He goes, I can't do that. I said, well, you can do something. Come on, work with me. <laughs> and so I got him to agree to give me, um, uh, three months free rent. He gave me $4,000 so I could put a, um, another bathroom in, and, the, and he agreed to rent it out to me for $1,600 a month. Now, the reason why those three free months of rent were so important is because I did not have the money to pay the rent. And so I said, guys, we're going to go into this building, and we're going we're gonna to jump in there with our free rent, and we're going to build the church in three months so we can pay the rent. I was living on the edge. <laughs> I remember early on, early on, uh, so much glory and presence of God. And uh, I remember one, one weekend um, in that first year, um, we, it was another extended prayer and worship gathering. My wife was um, at the meeting leading worship. <clears throat> and, uh, and during that weekend, there was a young man who was not a believer, who'd gotten intoxicated, and in his intoxicated stupor, jumped off of his buddy's truck because he thought he could, while it was driving, he thought he could jump off and run, you know? <laughs> and uh, completely destroyed his leg, um, broke it multiple places, tore all these ligaments, everything. And uh, the guy was a soccer player, and the doctor said, you're, you're, you're never going to play soccer again, and it, it would be incredible if you could even run with how, ever... And he came in, and so, and so he, during that weekend, he came in, and um, and he had to, from from thigh to ankle full, you know, like one of those things that, you know, cast that you, with the Velcro. And he was mad because he didn't want to be there, but he had no choice because his roommate was his only ride, and his roommate wanted to come. And he was there for a few minutes at this extended worship gathering, and uh and he gets mad and he decides to leave while well, our young adults chase him down outside, run down after him at the street and said, no, you can't leave. We haven't prayed for you yet.
1: And uh, he says,
0: okay, fine. Get over with. Not walking with God, no faith. And he's standing there in unbelief. And uh, about five minutes later, the front door flew open. And, and this, this was our 1,200-square-foot apostolic center where the, 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 the door the door was actually right here, next to the stage, so everyone knew who was showing up on time or not. You would walk in, and, and we would have people, we would have people that were visiting for the first time and they didn't know what was about to happen, and they would open the door, and the entire church would be looking at, and they'd shut it and run away. Like it's like, so freaky. And uh, <laughs> we would have, we would have, we would have days where nobody would show up, and I was there, and nobody showed up, and I would just put my face on the ground, and I would be travailing for one person to come to church that morning. (laughs) Anyways, a few young adults chase after this young man to pray for him. And the next thing we know, the front door flies open. We're in the middle of worship. He doesn't care. This unbelieving, just bitter young man breaks open the door at the top of his lungs, goes, I'm healed! And starts prancing around like a ballerina all over the church. Come on. (laughs) That young man would get saved, give his life to Jesus, go to the uh, doctors the next day while they would uh, go through multiple x-ray machines convinced that the x-ray machine was broken. Only finally for the doctors to say, we don't know how that happened, but here you go. He would go the entire summer preaching the gospel with his x-rays, getting teens saved all over the place. Come on, let's give glory to Jesus. But it was during that weekend that I was home uh, with, with, my, with my kids and I made our last meal. I, I was working, uh, doing everything I knew how to do, serving tables and we were seeking God and the presence of God is showing up and the glory of God is showing up and healing and signs and wonders is showing up and yet the money hadn't shown up yet. And I found a little container of leftover ground beef in the fridge, and I found a box of macaroni and cheese, and I had no milk. And I said, God, you know, how do you make macaroni and cheese with no milk? And I'm looking through the cupboards, and I found coconut milk, and that was before we went crunchy, and we, you know, didn't used to buy coconut milk. We didn't buy anything because we didn't have money. And I find a little container of coconut milk, and I'm thinking, can you make macaroni and cheese with coconut milk? I have no idea. And I, I, you know, make the macaroni and cheese, and I put in the ground beef, and it was enough for my kids. And I gave them, give the food to my kids. I said, well, I guess, (laughs) full of faith, I go, well, God, I guess we're going to eat this and die. You know, I'd read the book. You know, that was something that's been very puzzling to me, how, how, you know, I talked about the mixed cup of faith and ignorance, but there's also a mixed cup of glory and suffering, of grace and difficulty. And it's like, that, that puzzled me as I, I said, God, it looks like you like what's going on around here, you know? Glory of God showing up, gold dust, healing, signs, wonders, no money, God, what gives? You know, and, and what I've found, you know, as I continue to seek the Lord is there are those really narrow places that each of us walk through. Am I talking to anybody today? Where things start squeezing in around you and all you've got to do, you, all, you, all you can do is just hold on to get through to where you're going to. Where if we focus... On what God isn't doing at the moment, a fence is waiting to crouch at the door to grab hold of us, to rob us from all the things that God is doing, and what God wants to increase in our lives. Well, a friend visited from out of town about two days later and he goes, How are things going? And I just focused on all the glory and all the miracles. And I don't know if he sniffed me out or what. I didn't tell him we ran out of food. He goes, well, that's great. He goes, how about we go down to the grocery store and we get, like, I don't know, a couple grocery carts and just fill them full of food. Would that help you? And I said, yeah, that would be awesome. It's nothing, um, I, I tell you, it's just something that's like, being in that position, walking behind somebody, picking out, I mean, he'd be like, do you like these? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get one. He's like, let's get three. And, and, and it's just like, I don't know, there's just different encounters with the presence of God, you know? <laughs> you know, there, There's those kinds where we're in a meeting like this, and maybe the glory comes, or a, a, a cloud comes, or whatever. I mean, just the manifest presence. But, but walking behind a friend who is buying you groceries because you can't that's a different type of encounter with God. And I'll never forget coming home that day, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell my wife what was going on. We just came home, and I, and I walked through the door with groceries that I, at that moment, was not able to buy myself. And I walked through with these groceries, and my wife just fell to the floor and started weeping. It gets real sometimes, doesn't it? Even in the midst of, of signs and wonders and glory and grace, there is a call to pick up our cross and follow Christ, no matter what the cost. In fact, sometimes, sometimes that greatest elevation, it, 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 the doorway is, is potentially the greatest suffering or difficulty that we've ever encountered. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a Philippians uh, 2 moment, isn't it? That, that, that we would think like Christ and humble ourselves, become a servant to all, just like Christ. And, 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 and Paul says what? He says, he said it was for this reason that he died, even, even death on a cross, and it was for this reason also that the Father exalted him and gave him a name above every name. We, we ended up moving into that 4,200 square foot property, and, and God showed up again. And about a year and a half later, we had planted two other churches, and we're doing multiple services in our new upgraded revival center, 4,200 square foot revival center. And uh, air conditioning units started blowing out, and there was no room, and I had already rented out another office in the strip mall, and... I wanted to rent out another one for our teens, but they wouldn't let me because they want like businesses in there. And on a Tuesday morning, I was sitting in the sanctuary, and I thought the door was locked. And on a Tuesday morning, I said, God, what are we going to do? I said, I don't want to be here anymore, and nowhere to go, and these air conditioning units are blowing up, and all this stuff. And suddenly, a man walks in, an older gentleman, probably in his late 70s. And, he, and I said, can I help you? And I was surprised to see him because I thought the door was locked. It normally is when I'm in the sanctuary praying. He goes, yeah. He goes, is this place for lease? Now, mind you, there was no sign on the door. There was no ad in Craigslist, nothing besides our prayers. And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> I said, who are you? He goes, well, I'm so-and-so. It's good country, you know. I'm so-and-so, and my son Pastor so-and-so church up the street. We've got 45 days to be out of our building, and this place would be perfect. Can I bring my son by? I said, yeah, you bet you can. Ten minutes later, he shows up. Now his son's in his 50s. So, you know, It's like not a kid. His son shows up, and he goes, yep, this place would be perfect. I said, well, great. I said, here's, I write down the name and number. I said, here's the name of the property manager. Tell them you talk to me, and uh, let's see what they say. He goes, well, that's all fine and good. He goes, but uh, if we move in here, where are you going to go? I said, well, I figure that if God is going to open up a door for you guys to come in, he's going to open up a door for us to go out. And so I stood up in front of the church, and I said, guys, God has a new building for us. Everyone, (laughs) ah! I said, we don't know where it is yet, but come January 1st, we're not going to be meeting here. That's right. We leased out our building out from underneath of us. <laughs> I thought everybody would like that. <laughs> now, we weren't like a mega church at this time, but we were like, I don't know, a couple hundred people, and... And uh, I guess people liked, you know, having a little bit of stability, but I'll tell you, most people did. They, they did like it. I said, guys, we're, we, there's another congregation in our city that has a need. And I said, we're going to be an answer to their need. And it was during that time we were trying to raise money in case we need it. And I knew of a, of a church across town that was trying to build a uh, a children's wing. I said, guys, we're going to take a building offering today, and it's all for that church, not for... Us, come on. Just be a radical. Like, I mean, some of us we can be radical as individuals, but how about radicals as congregations? Like just putting ourselves out there. God, we're gonna sink or swim, but there's not gonna be any like easy way through this. We're going for this. And I'll tell you, 45 days later, we were in the property that we're currently in with a purchase contract, not a lease, a purchase contract. And we ended up purchasing our own property, 18,000 square feet, three plus acres. Come on, let's give God glory and praise. But I share these things because I, I want you to know what I'm saying today isn't in a vacuum. It's not ideas. This is the way that we live and in the way that we've pursued God as a congregation. And I also want to say to this church that, that because this church is on assignment, you're not here taking up uh, space or sucking up air in Columbus. You guys are on assignment for city transformation. And I just believe that it's very important as this congregation moves forward that you never lose the edge. It's that edge where the miraculous and the impossible bends its knee to the name of Jesus as congregations join themselves and we're in this to win it. We're not trying to get second place. We're going for gold. And I just believe that the Lord is going to continue to open up doors for this congregation, but it's going to take great faith and great boldness to step into the promises of God. Am I speaking to anybody today? And so no matter what that means, I know you guys have had your own miracle stories of properties and buildings, but the story is not over yet. There's much more to be written. And, and God is wanting to make sure that this congregation stays on that cutting edge, that you never lose your edge, never never get to that place where, yeah, this is kind of working, it's kind of comfortable. No, you've got you to keep on, you know, what does Peter say? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, You'll never be fruitless. You gotta, you gotta keep that, keep that forward-looking momentum and keep that forward-looking edge. And God's gonna, gonna take you places. Hey, do you guys record your worship? Do you guys do that? Have you guys done albums or anything? Beat. Be, <laughs> Well, anyways, I, during worship, I saw, I saw, uh, albums covers live from Zion. And I really believe that there's something that, 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 has been stirring in my heart. This is like, oh, yay, okay. So, so this is something that's stirring in my heart. You know, I really believe the Lord is about to release a new sound in the body of Christ. And it's, it's actually linked to what Morningstar was doing in the 90s. And I just feel like there's something about the wells that Don Potter and, and all these guys were digging in the 90s. You know, there was an East Coast and there was a West Coast sound, wasn't there? It, you know, there was a, a vineyard. You know, you guys, anybody remember that? <laughs> Yours vineyard was really before Bethel carrying it, you know, vineyard, hill, something. But there was a West Coast sound and there was an East Coast sound. And I, and I was here with you guys this morning. And I thought, this is, I feel like this is one of those lampstands that's supposed to carry an East Coast sound. It's different than what's coming out of Bethel. And it's it's not the same. it's both are needed, but, but but that God wants to bring you guys into an expression of this creative prophetic worship. Come on. I, I just feel like there's a that there's a wildness and there's a rawness that God wants to capture out of this house that'll bless the nations. Yay! So I was, I was praying uh, this weekend about what to share, and I was, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, tonight on identity and inheritance, but I have a passage, a prophetic word I want to give to the whole congregation, and always, right, whenever I travel, it's submitted to the leadership, so if they say, well, we don't think that's God, then you, you pass it up. But, but I, I believe I've got a word for the entire congregation, because I feel like the, um, <clears throat> the, 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 the soft roll, rolling boil is about to erupt. I feel like you guys are on the verge of a of a soft rolling bo- boil to something that's splattering all over the oven, all over the kitchen floor and may, you know maybe it's like the marinara now it's on your nice shirt. It's messy. It's like oh, what's happening? Oh, it's explosive boil. <laughs> and it's connected to the angels that God is activating in this room. And just a new invitation into the presence of God, and that your hearts would not get jaded. That every little drop of His presence, it's worth stopping at. It's worth getting down on our knees at and saying, "God, we're not taking this for granted." Lord, every every healing, every breakthrough, God, every testimony. Oh, God. This is our bread. This is what we live off of, God. We can't, we, we never, we're not going to, you know, disdainfully sniff at the offering like it says in Malachi. No, we're, I mean, every little drop, every sacrifice of praise, every offering of joy, man, it's just, it's priceless. It's, how can we steward it well, God? And I just feel like the Lord wants to release that new, a new tenderness and sensitivity. saying, God what gift? God, what gift are we walking in, God? And it's like, you know, as parents and husbands and wives, there's there's always fires, right? I mean, there's always like, oh my gosh, and this and that, and, you know, different things, and it's hard sometimes. I mean, it's hard when there's healing going on and then you run out of food. Those are uh, not fun moments. Or or when you're seeing healing breaking forth, but in your own family, right, you're you're battling sickness or disease. I mean, those moments they try and steal away our sensitivity, or maybe it's one of our kids It's like, oh God, is it gonna make it? I started a few weeks ago. Anytime my kids did something goofy or crazy, I'm just saying, I just grabbed by the head and said, "You're gonna be okay because Jesus is gonna help you." Now <laughs> everybody's doing that to each other, but you know, as parents and husbands and wives, it's like we have these opportunities to to step out of the wonder of what in the world is going on around here. We show up to this metal warehouse on Sunday mornings. People get healed and set free and delivered. It's like, yeah, this is life that God shed His blood to bring us into. Oh, man, God, that we wouldn't lose our wonder. We've gone through many difficult things in ministry, and I've described some of them, but 2015 almost took us out of the game. 2015, we were in our building that we purchased, and things were going well, but there was like a fault line in the foundation that I didn't didn't see coming. I'm like, one of the couples decided that they didn't like us anymore and, and, like, you know, got 30 of their closest friends to believe the same thing. <laughs> you know, these are people that, like, as pastors, like, you're standing with them, praying for them, believing for their own breakthrough, and then, like, you know, what seems like you sneeze wrong, and all of a sudden, you're like, uh, you know, Ahab and Jezebel to them. And uh... <laughs> So... <laughs> So, so it's like one of those days where like you show up to church and like a quarter of the congregation's missing. I was like, oh that's that hurt. And then like, you know, the other church that you planted, they believe the same thing, and so you get kicked out of the church that you planted. I thought if I was the pastor, I couldn't get kicked out of churches anymore. It's not true. You can, it happens. It does. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we were pretty beat up, and uh, and I had a, a, a son in the Lord that I was try- doing everything I could to like raise up and try to empower, and then he decided I was a jerk. It was a bad week, bad month, but don't worry, it all happened like the day before Christmas Eve, so we had plenty of time to recover for the Christmas season. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> so like a week goes by and I get invited to South Africa to do a pastors conference. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Just get me out of Lynchburg. <laughs> so I go to I go to Johannesburg and I just tell these pastors I've gotten the crap kicked out of me for the last 6 months and they were deeply ministered. <laughs> to, <laughs> They were weeping, and, you know, it turns out, like, I hadn't been the only one that had gone through difficulty trying to lead God's people. And it was during that time, it was during that time that I just had some, I had some, uh, a break in the afternoon, and I was sitting on my bed just reading the Word, and I felt an angel come into the room, and I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, this is an angel revival, and you're taking him back to America. And um, some of you are super spiritual. I'm still working through it. I'm thinking, why would I have to take an angel from South Africa to America? But, I mean, like, even though I'm still growing up on the inside, my outside is fairly disciplined. And I said, okay, Lord. I I don't understand that, but okay. Well, I get back to America, and I don't tell anybody. I tell my associate pastor because, you know, I just figure if that was real, something's going to happen. Like, I, I don't have to, like, tell everybody. If that was a real encounter, and there was a real angel revival, there should be some proof in the pudding, right? And so about a month goes by, and I forget about the whole thing, and I have a dream. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to pump you full of some testimonies. I'm going to prophesy with the church, and then hopefully you all get whacked. <laughs> and I am going to read from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> About a month after I get back to the United States, I have a dream, and in the dream, I'm outside of my body, and I'm looking at myself and my wife asleep in our bed, and that's an awkward place to be as I'm in my bedroom, and I'm out floating outside of my body, and there's me, and there's my wife, and I looked at the foot of my bed, and there's two angels standing at the foot of my bed with two long silver trumpets, and in unison, they raise their silver trumpets, and they blast these silver trumpets in unison. Immediately as they bat, blast these silver trumpets, I am thrust into my body, and I wake up, but I'm still in the encounter. And now I'm awake, and I'm back in my body, which was an improvement. I'm in my body, and I'm awake, and these trumpets are in my face, blasting in my face. And you know what? I'm feeling mostly fear. I'm feeling mostly the fear of God as these two heavenly beings are, are like feet away from me, blasting this silver trumpet in my face, face. and when they're done blasting it, they put their trumpets down and they leave and I'm sitting there awake in the encounter fearful and just perplexed like what is going on and I turn to my right and an angel comes to me and he begins talking to me and for the rest of the night the angel would come and talk to me and leave and I would sit there perplexed and he'd come back and talk to me and leave and I'd I'd sit there perplexed it happened all night long I woke up speaking in tongues, just filled with the Holy Spirit, and and uh, he, he talked to me about many different things, most of which I, I can't remember or articulate, but I, I do remember that he told me that there was a special group of angels that are being trained in heaven right now that are about to be sent to the earth to minister to those who were victims of childhood sexual abuse. Again, like some of this stuff... I. Oh, God, does it have to be so swirly? Like, God, like, if you ca- you know, we know you care about stuff like this. God, why are you taking the time to train angels, whatever that means, in heaven? Just send the angels. God, we need some help down here. But isn't that the rub? I mean, well, think about it, this, why would an omnipotent, omniscient God, an all-powerful, omnipresent. He's everywhere. Why would he even create angels? Doesn't even make sense to me. But again, I've just learned with this whole realm of the supernatural and the miraculous, it's just like, all right, God, however you do it, that's the way I want to do it. And so if you're telling me you're about to say angels, send angels to the earth to minister to those who are victims of childhood sexual abuse, I say, yay. Yay, God. Hope they all get good grades real quick. And you send them because we need it. We need help. And I wake up from the dream, and immediately I go, it's, Zach- it's Zachariah 4, right? Zachariah 4, verse 1, then the angel who had been speaking to me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. I said, Lord, these are angels of awakening. So now this is the time where you can start catching, say, all right, God, I'm grabbing that right now. We started worship calling all angels. Lord, I'm grabbing that right now. Angels of awakening. This is that time in the service where it starts getting swirly and the presence of God starts moving. People with faith, you know, if we could see their spirit, man, they're jumping. They're saying, God, I'm grabbing that. I'm taking it. God, I want that for me. And you just grab it. Three days later, God shows up to my church. Now, he's there every Sunday. Like, you know, stuff happens. The miraculous happens. But God really, really, really Showed up to my church. The presence of God fell. People just fell on their faces. No worship music. No synth pads going on. People just crying out, travailing, God, we need you. Send your spirit. That began eight weeks of nightly revival services. Now, that, you know, I don't know what that sounds like to you, In hindsight, I say, well, it was only eight weeks, but in the moment, it was like, God, what? I mean, you just don't know. You're just trying to be obedient to the Lord. Like, man, if we extend these meetings, will anything happen? Will anybody show up? It takes some guts to do stuff like that. As a congregation and as, as, as as a leadership team, to make those bold moves where you're saying, man, we could look really goofy if nothing happens, or we could catch God and maybe change the world. And those eight weeks began some of the most intense, just an explosion of testimonies, signs, wonders, miracles, and I just want to tell you, tell you a few. People getting saved all over the place. People would come into the meetings, and just being in the presence, there was something tangible in the room. Their, their extended family members started getting saved. During that time, their family members didn't even come to the service. They were in the service. Something rested, and all over the congregation, people's loved ones and friends were getting saved. I had a young adult come in, and he came in. And he goes, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, this week, he said, it was either four or five. Four or five of my friends got saved this week. He goes, I just checked my voicemail. I have a voicemail from another friend who's an unbeliever saying, can you call me back? I want to talk to you about Jesus. that's where, like, you know, people are, the fish are jumping in the boat. An elder in my church, he said, Jeff, I have a friend I've been friends with for decades. He's been an atheist all his life. Just this week, he decided to receive Jesus as Lord. Multiple times, at least twice, we'd have young adults that said, guys, we need to pray for my mom, or we need to pray for my dad. He's an unbeliever. This happened at least twice. They grabbed hands and began to pray for the salvation of that family member. By the time they said amen, the child, the young adult, had a text message from their parent saying, hey honey, I just wanna let you know I decided to receive Jesus as my savior. Come on. All all during this time, you know, the the meetings were just wild and it's just like, you know, being still a young pastor and and still like, you know, just eating, you know, feeding off of stories of historic revivals, you know, and and what God has done in the past and what God's done in the present and saying, God, I just want to see revival. I want to see a move in my city, but not wanting to try and make it look like anything. It's like, it has to look like us, like Zion. It has to look like you. But there were times where people were weeping and shaking and rattling and rolling and people were rolling around on the floor. And I said, guys, just let it go. Just don't even, I said, you know, I said, the Bible says man looks on the outward appearance and you, and, and God looks at the heart. I said, but none of you believe it. You all think you can tell what's going on. And you can't just let them go. You know, if somebody's laughing in the flesh and the worst thing that happens that day is that they leave happy, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I remember, you know, a couple weeks into the service, I go to my administrative pastor. I said, go home to your wife. I've got this. And he didn't do it. So I was like trying to be like, you know, wear the pants. So I, I went back there to try and say like an hour later, like, hey, seriously, go home. I get about six feet away from him. And I, it was like I walked into a glass uh, plate wall. My feet flung out from underneath me. I hit the floor, which is wood, hard floor. We don't have carpet. And I break into stupid, hysterical laughter. I'm the only person in the entire church that's doing it. Our guest speaker is in the same room trying to leave a service. And it was like simultaneous. Everyone in the congregation, who is the, it? oh, it's pastor. <laughs> For about two hours I'm laughing like an idiot, slapping my hand on the floor, rolling around, it's dirty, it's not it's just gnarly, it's hardwood, you know, just rolling around on the floor. I try to stand up, I fall over again, uncontrollable. And you know what's going through my head? All the accusations that had been launched at me, that I'm religious, that I was controlling, that I didn't want God, that I didn't want revival, God was bringing up all these accusations and all these words and all the pain that I had suffered at the hands of my friends. And God was healing my heart through stupid, hysterical laughter. I remember one of the nights, the presence of God fell on the room and I was speaking and one, one young lady was shaking and laughing and shaking. Nobody else was doing it, just one lady. I said, guys, just bless her. Oh, we just bless you. And she's just shaking and laughing and shaking and laughing. And <clears throat> I give the altar call at the end of the service and she comes up and she's, she was embarrassed. She had her head under the seat trying to keep herself from being seen. And I said, hey, sweetheart, What can we do for you? And she goes, I was raped about two years ago. She goes, and every night a demon comes into my room and abuses me. She goes, I feel like I'm getting set free. (laughs) She goes, can you pray for me? I said, you bet I can. I would start the services with about 45 minutes to an hour worth of testimonies of people picking up hitchhikers and getting healed. One of our young ladies, I said, as as a dad, I hate what you're saying, but as a revivalist pastor, I'm going to let you give the testimony. At about 2 in the morning, she picks up three guys for hitchhiking. And they get in the car, and she goes, are you guys legit? And they, yeah, we're blankety-blank legit. She goes, all right, get in. I said, Krista, you're nuts. She She goes, well, don't worry, pastor. She goes, I got them in the car, and I said, just so you guys know, I have some family members that aren't as saved as I am. And if I disappear, you guys are really going to regret it. <laughs> so with the proper disclaimer, she starts the trip. And she goes, uh, one of you guys has pain in your body. And they go, yeah, the guy in the front seat, is it, uh, he goes, yeah, it's my back. We'll call, we'll call him Joe. They go okay, and uh, he and, and Krista goes okay. You two in the back, put your hands on Joe. <laughs> put your hands on Joe, and they're like. She goes. Repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I command all pain to leave his body. So she's got her ministry school in the car. She's got them activated, and now they're healing Joe. <laughs> They, they end the prayer she goes joe how do you feel he goes i feel better she goes all the way or or just some she goes some she goes let's pray again well now the guys in the back they don't need to they go in the name of jesus <laughs> by the time they by the time they leave they get out of the car they're praising god joe is healed and it's been a good night come on let's praise the lord for that At the end of one of the services, a couple of our guys go, hey, it's early. It's before midnight. You know, most of these services ended up at 12.30, 1 in the morning. It was intense. And they go, hey, it's before midnight. They go, what if we go get like a couple hundred dollars, go down to the cookout, which the cookout is like the Chick-fil-A version of Burger King. You know, it's like this. It's the cool restaurant next to the campus. It's always packed. They go, what if we get a couple hundred dollars, go down to the cookout, buy everybody's food in the restaurant, and pray for everyone. And they said, yeah, that seems like a good idea. So that's what they did. These are young adults, like Uh, a couple hundred dollars, right? It's probably like, you know, thousands in big people world. (laughs) 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 But they did it. They did it. And they went up to the cashiers, and it's a line. It's always packed in this restaurant. They go, they go to the cashiers. They go, has anyone tipped you guys tonight? They're like, no, of course not. They give them both $20. They say, well, we just want you to know you're doing a great job. Here's 20 bucks. And they're like, uh, thanks. They go, and here's $300. We want you to buy everyone's food in this line, and we're going to be praying for them. And so they go, and they just start praying. Every single person. People's broken arms are getting healed. Backsliders are getting saved. Other healings are breaking out. Other people are saying, no, I don't want you to buy my food. They go, no, we, Jesus loves you, we're buying your food. It's humbling to have someone buy you something. They stay there for about an hour praying and prophesying over the entire restaurant. And the cashiers go, can you wait, two young ladies. They go, can you wait, we're about to get off, we want to talk to you guys, three of my guys. They said, sure. They go and sit down with these two young ladies. One of them says, I've I've been a backslider for years. I grew up in the church. I walked away from God. I said, "But, but what I saw tonight makes me want to come home. Will you pray for me? They pray with her right there, lead her back to the Lord. The other young lady, she goes, I didn't grow up in the church. I don't know about church anything. She goes, the last time I saw my dad, I was about three or four years old. He was yelling at my mom, slammed the door, and walked out of my life. She goes, but, I want the God that I saw in you guys tonight. Will you pray for me? And so they grabbed her head. they said, you bet. And they leader the Lord right there in, in, the, in the restaurant. How many of you know that's good? But how many of you know there's more? So after receiving Christ, all of the demons that had been harassing her her entire life decided they didn't like it. And so in the middle of the cookout, she starts manifesting demons. And I teach my church. Said, <clears throat> they're already demonized. They don't have to be embarrassed. The first thing you got to do is tell the demons to shut up. And they did. I said, you will not embarrass This daughter of God, you shut up now in Jesus' name. The the manifestation stopped. They they, they cast the demons out of her. She gets delivered, and then they say, but there's more. They say, we're going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. They pray for her. The presence of God falls on her, and she gets filled with the Holy Spirit right there in the cookout. And her friend goes, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with your face? (laughs) She takes out her phone, her iPhone. You know, turns it around so she can see her face. Gold dust, all over her face. <laughs> and one of my guys is a videographer. They're recording the whole thing. One more, one more testimony. Oh, I'm trying, Jim. One more testimony. During the services, my wife and I are sitting in the front seat. We're getting blasted by the Holy Ghost. Man, it feels, it feels so good to laugh. It's better than being disgruntled and bitter in church, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Telling you. I mean, a- anybody that's concerned with laughing in the flesh, it's like, well, how about depression in the flesh? How about unforgiveness in the flesh? How about bitterness in the flesh? You know, how about despair in the flesh? Because th- those get along fine in the church, but how about some joy? My goodness. <laughs> my wife and I are getting blasted, whacked, deeply touched in the Lord. And my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, hops up on my knee. She goes, Daddy, what's wrong with you? I was like, ha 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 ha. ha. And she turns around and I go, Bzz. I just touch her, I touch her shoulder and she goes, Stop doing that. And I'm laughing, ha 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 ha. ha. And she goes, Dad, stop touching me. And I said, I'm not. And I'm ha, 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 and then now she's mad at me. She's growing up. She turns to me, she goes, dad, stop touching me. I said, I'm not. And then she starts doing this. She goes, dad. She goes, dad, it feels weird. You're laughing, but she was mad. And I said, okay, come here. And so I grab her. And I take her, and I, this is. I'm gonna close with this, with this testimony, and then we're gonna pray because I believe this is gonna be a hub. I, and I, I, I just believe, I believe, I believe outpouring, and, and there, this is gonna be a, a revival, it already is a revival hub, but I see the Lord. Using this house as a lampstand for extended time, sometimes it'll it'll go for a few weeks or I don't know, or maybe it'll be just a few more days, but I see the angels of God coming to this house and it's going to be a beacon in Columbus and in Ohio, but even for the East Coast as amplified healing outpourings are going to be visiting this house. And, and things that are going to be marked by intense visitations of the presence and the power of God. And it's like, you may have said, could it get any weirder around here? And God's like, yeah, it can It can, but somewhere in the weird packaging and the offense, there's a greater deposit of glory, signs, wonders, salvation, deliverance, healing, outpouring, miracles, everything that you've been crying out for. And the Lord is going to raise this house up on a lampstand again. Get ready for regional outpouring. And I take my little baby girl, right? She's my sweetheart, my eight-year-old girl. And I put her down on the floor in the back of the sanctuary. And she is distressed. And she is thrashing. And she says, Dad, make it stop. It feels weird, Dad. Everything inside of me. I'm trying to push all the levers and all the buttons casting out this, blessing that, releasing this. Nothing's working, and I've got this real loud voice inside of me called the dad voice that says, go call the ambulance. I'm just just telling you, maybe you're saying, well, you need to grow up. Well, maybe I do, but that was where I was. And I'm trying, and I'm pressing, and I'm pushing. I'm saying, no, I'm not gonna get in the flesh. This is freaking me out. It doesn't feel like a demon, but it's not something I felt before. I don't understand what's going on. It's easier when it's your kid. And I went and I grabbed the guest speaker's wife, uh, awesome woman of God. I said, hey, can you just pray with us? And my daughter's thrashing. Dad, make it stop. Dad, it feels weird. Dad, make it stop. We pray for her. And she goes from thrashing violently to catatonic, stiff as a board, doesn't move. And I think, I don't know if that's an improvement. (laughs) Stiff as a board, catatonic. Two things that you don't know. One, she'd been diagnosed with scoliosis and her spine had been curving the last few years. And then the other thing was that very morning I was sitting out on the deck with her, and she was complaining to me about her friends. And I said, honey, I hear what you're saying, but you need to take responsibility about your part of the relationship. And she goes, no, Dad, you don't understand. I said, honey, give me, give me your hand. I said, you're in sin. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to pray that Jesus leads you to repentance. She goes, whatever, Dad. She's actually incredible. She sees angels and all stuff. But, but <laughs> she's amazing. I did. That's what happened that morning. She goes, stiff as a board. Another 20 minutes goes by. And you're just watching like, God, I'm really trusting you right now with my daughter. Like, I don't understand. I've seen a lot of weird things, but this is, this is different. 20 minutes goes by. She goes, Ugh! like she came up from air. From, from you know Came up for air from the bottom of the ocean. I go, honey. I said, honey. I don't know why. I said, What did you see? That was the first thing I said. And she goes, I saw him, Dad. She goes, I saw him. She goes, he's so bright, Dad. And she begins to describe how the Lord Jesus came to her and began talking to her, talking to her about her friends, talking to her about her heart, talking to her about what God wanted to do in her life. And she just started weeping. Some time went by and we said, What were you doing? Why were you thrashing around? She goes, Dad, it felt like somebody stuck their hand into my back and they'd grab a bone, twist it, and let go, and stick it back in and grab a bone and twist it and let go. She goes, Dad, it felt so weird. Can I tell you today that she's healed of scoliosis? Can I just give glory to Jesus? And many, many, many healing, salvations, deliverance, because God, we caught a wind of what God wanted to do through a prophetic word and an angelic visitation. Oh, you remember those silver trumpets? A few weeks go by and I go, God, what about the silver trumpets? So I look it up. Oh, it's Numbers 10. God told Moses, when you want to assemble the congregations, fashion two trumpets made of silver and blow two silver trumpets. And the passage says, if you only want to gather the leaders, blow one silver trumpet. So angels of awakening came to me, blew two silver trumpets for an anointing for an awakening and an anointing to gather God's people. Turned into eight weeks of healing, revival, Outpouring, I'm prophesying over this house that the same grace is 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 hovering in the air, and the the the, the pot is about to erupt into a, a a violent boil. And I've got a passage I want to read, but I, I I I I'm gonna give give the microphone over over to Jim, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna read the passage out of Joel, prophesy over the church, and then we're gonna go into some ministry time. So, how about we clap for your pastor uh, again as he comes up?
1: Sorry, I'm a bit of a mess. So I wasn't expecting to get the mic this quick. Man. Thank you, Jeff. Wow. I don't know about you guys or if you're hungry for this or what, but man, it was just uh that was good. I don't have anything to say. I'm a mess. I just want to lay down and cry. So if we could have a rushers, come, let's just bless Jeff guys. Let's just sow into revival. Be generous. Bless this church. And uh, let's let's make up for all those times when they didn't have the money for food. And how about that? Let's. uh, I always. I always say like this. Let's. Let's embarrass our speakers with generosity, not embarrass them with scarcity. So yeah. So just make your checks out. um, It's all up there. And so. uh, Yep. The Zion app is there. Do we have the? We don't have. What's that? It is up. Okay. In the Zion app, scroll up to Jeff Struss USS, and it'll be there. Oh man. Well, I get to speak in your church next month, so that'll be fun, yeah, so I can't wait to go there. It'll be fun. Who wants to go with me? No, I was kidding <laughs> so well, uh man, yeah, I just I'm a mess right now, so I, I shouldn't be doing this, but just, yeah, just guys, just be generous. You guys are the best at that, so thank you so much. and um, I'm just going to turn it back over to you, jeff i'm I', I, I messed up. So. He said, before you do anything crazy, give me the mic back.
0: I did it. I was obedient to the pastoral leadership in the house. So this is what I want to do. I really, something that's been stirring in my heart is God's been challenging me, and, and and, and actually, even in a dream i 'm not going to tell you the dream, but maybe maybe i'll share it tonight if you come back but but in the dream the Lord really challenged me about not being ashamed of the calling of God on my life and and, and it's just his calling to demonstrate the power and the, and the miraculous movement of the kingdom of God and and, and I've, I've really felt the Lord been challenging me to revisit the roots of, of Pentecostalism and and really the the reproach that Men and women of God took just so they could be stewards of the supernatural. And there's something that's like really healthy and really powerful about not despising the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not despising speaking in tongues. Not despising the shaking, rattling, rolling. Like sometimes, you you know, it's not about that stuff. But if it happens, hey, thank you, Jesus, you showed up. (laughs) <laughs> and I tell my church, I said, you don't receive by shaking, rattling, and rolling. You receive by faith. But if God starts moving upon you, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him by resisting what He's doing. I said, so, so for some of you, it just might be a quiet, gentle feeling like a rain coming on your heart, and you just got to be still. Others of you, you need to let something out. You need, to, you need to cry out. You need to, you know, shriek, cry out. I mean, make a shout to the Lord. Others, there's a laughter like God did in my heart where he, he actually wants to make you glad. But we've got to be a people that don't despise what it looks like because we value Who just showed up? So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for a church that's in revival that it'd get worse, that your passion for the gospel would grow, that your zeal to display the kingdom of God would get bigger. I want to pray for some of you, some of your moms and dads, and you're just, you're feeling like you're barely holding on, just fighting that good fight of faith, trying to just keep house, love your spouse, love your kids. I want to tell you today that there's more for you. And I want to ask the Lord to baptize you again in the Holy Ghost. Would you stand? I want to prophesy over the church, and then we're going to open up the altar, and I don't know if the, if, the, if the worship team is available to come up or not. And if you want to respond to this, could you just come to the altar? <clears throat> I feel like there's a grace for me to pray over the congregation as a corporate way, but I might jump down there and start laying hands on everybody. And so, just as a forewarning, if you feel like you're going to fall over, just fall, like, if you can manage it, fall to your knees. Like, that That would bless the person behind you. <clears throat> but, you know, how many of you know, it's, it's really not about me laying my hands on you. It's about Him laying His hands on you. It's about It's about Jesus Christ, He's the baptizer, isn't he? One is coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And and some of us, we just we're we're ready for a fresh deluge, a fresh outpouring, like where God touches you again. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad. For the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has borne its fruit, the fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. He has given you the early rain for your vindication. Come on, just catch it. He's coming right now. And he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and with oil. Then I will make up to you for the years the swarming locust has eaten the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locusts. God says it's all coming back to you today. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame Thus you will know that I am in your midst and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame. This is the word that I felt like the Lord told me to release over the house today. And I'll tell you, the prophet goes on and the Lord says, and I will pour out my spirit on all the earth on all mankind and i believe as you continue to say yes to the outpouring of the holy spirit here in zion and in columbus what happens here will touch the ends of the earth and the nations will be glad come on clap and bless the lord so come on we're going to call for the rain right now lift your hands up right now come on we call for the rain Come on, just cry out right now. Lift your voice right now. Oh, God, we ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire, signs, wonders, miracles. God, we need it. We need you, God. We need you, God come on just keep your hands up now right now just soak it in right now come on I'm gonna jump down there we're gonna we're gonna just just soak it in right now there are ushers that'll follow me around okay come on